Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, the podcast that ruined the most illustrious career in technology journalism. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That intro. (laughs) We only have a few episodes left. We might as well go for it. Go for it. intro comes from David McDonald on Twitter. That's uh, Dave McDo. Just figure it out. Just go into Twitter, find him. Thank you, David. I hope that you meant that in the spirit in which we read it. Uh, Anyway, this is Control-Alt-Delete. I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, Verge executive editor, Recode, editor-at-large, the Walter Cation, Walt Mossberg. How's it going, Walt? It's fine. I mean, uh, my career is in ruins, but I'm not. It's fine. Uh, he was. <laughs> I was doing great before this podcast. Yeah, apparently, no. We really, really brought it down. I know. Um, so I'll tell the listener just from the jump. Walt, Walt has promised. Well, I basically told him he had to do it, but he's promised <laughs> me uh, a final blowout column. So we're giving him the weeks to to do that. Um, also, the code conference is coming up. I know Walt's very busy. Uh, preparing for the code conference. Very. We should talk about that maybe a little bit. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah. Um, we also we shot a bunch of video with Walt last week in his office in D.C. So we're doing all this stuff. I'm very afraid of what that video is going to um, look like. But as we as we come up to to Walt's last column, uh, that video is great. I'm not. I don't want to give away one bit of it. I'm just going to tell you it was one of the most fun days I've had uh, making stuff with you, Walt. It was super fun. So um, there's no column this week. Is the point I'm trying to get? Walt didn't write a column. We've been keeping him busy doing a bunch of stuff. And then there's the code conference, which obviously Walt. You founded, you run, you're very busy preparing for. Uh, so it's another free-form jazz sesh of a podcast, uh, which is great because there's actually a ton of news to talk there about. There is a ton of news, yeah. Uh, there's Apple earnings. Uh, Microsoft uh, had an event which I think surprised a bunch of people. They put out a, a new Surface laptop, a new version of Windows, which is a little different and strange. Uh, there's... As always, yeah. there's net neutrality news in this world. There's all kinds of things going on. Where do you, where do you want to start, Walt? Uh, why don't we start with Apple? Let's yeah. start with Apple. So, look, it's Apple, and it's a cult-type brand. It even was long before it had the kind of financial muscle it has now. But when you add on the fact that it's it's either the biggest – it's not just the biggest tech company. It's like the biggest publicly traded company in terms of market cap, right? Something like that. Yeah. And it has giant revenues and profits and all that kind of stuff. It's whatever quarter, whatever they have in their quarter is, I think, I think gets over analyzed and over attention uh, or too much attention. So what happened was there's a whole bunch of stuff. But, but I should say the other thing is we have going on here just – I don't know whether this is a correct use of the term, but it's like the law of big numbers, right? I mean yeah. it's big numbers. So – something goes up or down a little, these things are, all these pieces of Apple, like you think of it as all being iPhones, and that is most of it, but it's actually a lower percentage of their total company, and I suspect deliberately, than um, it was two years ago. And some of that is just the market, but some of it is there deliberately building up this thing called services. And, you know, as we've said many times, if you pull just the Mac which I think you can make a good case they have not been doing a great job on. If you pull the Mac out, it's it's a Fortune, I don't know, 150 business by itself. And I think they said the services business was bigger than on a the quarterly revenues from services at Apple. And by services, we mean Apple Music, the cut they take from the App Store, 
the amount you pay them to store your photos, all, all those sorts of things. I think they said that quarterly revenues from that were higher than Starbucks. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, and, and a bunch of other very well-known brands. Uh, so and, and that that would also be a fortune something company. So it's complicated, but I, and I and I think people made too much of it. Basically, they sold about 50 million iPhones. It was a little shy of whatever magical number Wall Street comes up with, you know, pulls out of its rear and comes up with. Uh, I don't mean to. I'm not defending Apple. I mean, the, the, I'm really not. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just attacking Wall Street. You know, they sold about 50 million iPhones. Uh, lots, of, but they claim to have more growth than iPhones. I think that this quarter and next quarter and any one particular quarter, unless it's a disaster or unless it's a blowout, fabulous upside quarter, of which Apple has had a number. I think Apple has had at least two quarters which rank as the best quarters any publicly traded company in any industry has ever had in the last few years. Not not very recently, but in the last few years. And I don't think they've ever had a – not ever, but since they became – successful, really successful. I don't think they've ever had a disastrous quarter. No. And uh, to, to, to kind of reframe that, we prepare and pre-write a bunch of stuff before earnings are announced, right? So we get ready to make all of our charts. We put all the context in from previous quarters because all that information is out there. So we're, we have long prepared to put, you know, put the new information out there. I personally spend hours making charts for this. <laughs> yeah. um, but for the longest time uh, – we would just prepare to write the headline, Apple posts another record quarter, right? They, would, they, were, they were consistently, every quarter was the biggest quarter they'd ever had or the biggest quarter you know, it, uh, of the, that calendar segment in right. a year that they would have or the biggest quarter any company has ever had. Or, I mean, it was just on and on and on and on. And they, that has somewhat declined. And I, so that it's weird to say one of the most successful companies in the world – is not doing as well as it used to be when the delta is they were doing better than any company had ever done in history ever for the longest time and now they're kind of like coming back I wouldn't even call it coming back to earth I they're, mean they did they're, they're they, coming back to like they had a very, earth orbit <laughs> right they had a very profitable high revenue quarter good enough for them to you know raise their stock buyback or extend their stock buyback plan and raise their dividend and you know I don't I don't think people tune into this for a lot of financial stuff, but here's here's what I think about Apple. And you, you well, know. just for context, let me just give the the detail inside of it, right? So, All right. okay, um, and then we can go into it. So the the things you want to know, the product related information, which is what this show is about. Right. The iPhone unit sales were down year over year, one percent, but revenue was up one percent, so they're making slightly more money on slightly less sales, and you can attribute that to they're selling more expensive phones. Uh, the iPad is way down, 13% drop in units, 12% drop in, in revenue. The Mac went up they, a little bit, 4% up in units and 14% up in revenue. So they sold a few more. They were way more expensive. In a PC market overall that had zero growth. So well, yeah. And we talked about that. 4% isn't great, but it's better than you know the average of their yep. the rest of the market. Uh, Apple has a category called Other, uh, which is literally almost everything else. The Apple TV, the watch, Beats, the, the iPod. Um, iPod socks and their accessories. Uh, <laughs> that is up 31%. It's hard to attribute exactly 31% revenue. They don't yeah. break out the sales of these individual products, but they said the Apple Watch is doing great. Uh, and they said Beats the Apple and Watch AirPods sales are doing doubled. Great. Yeah. 
Uh, and then services, which is what Apple really wanted to push, and I think we should talk about it a little bit, uh, that is up 18%. And services now, it's it's huge. It's a huge business for Apple. If you broke it out by itself, would be on the Fortune 500. So right. that's like the, the broad sweep. So you, you want to take them sort of down the line? Or, well, or, no, I, I want to I want to do something a little different. I want to yeah. go a little bigger, and I just want to say this, uh, and, and you, we can argue about it if you want, or you can, you know, fall into line and... And, and agree with me. Um, basically, I don't think anything matters uh, if you're studying Apple except for two things. Uh, in the short term or medium term, whatever you want to call it, it's what kind of iPhones do they bring out in the fall and how do those how are those received? Um, and what will those phones tell you, uh, uh, particularly the rumored premium 10th anniversary one? What will that stuff tell you about where they're heading? That's the first thing. So iPhones in the fall. I mean, there will be, uh, there could be more iPad announcements. There could be, for all I know, more Mac announcements. But um, but it's the iPhone thing that's the thing to keep your eye on. And then more, much more importantly, there still is the question of will the Tim Cook Apple, which is now uh, more than five years uh, old. Uh, Create a blockbuster new category, or at least uh, you know, sort of ignite a blockbuster new category, because we have to acknowledge that most of the categories that we think of as being part of the genius of Steve Jobs were not invented entirely by Apple, but were kind of put into a form, perfected in a way that they were hugely desirable by consumers and they worked very well and all that. And Tim Cook has done two things. They, he's done a whole bunch of things, including lots of very good uh, you know, financial management of the company. But uh, in terms of products, he's done two things. One is the Apple Watch, which they invested a lot of money in, the de- in developing and then in marketing and introducing to the world, in which they've had to pivot a little on a couple of ways – um, they claim it's successful. They, as far as we at, at The Verge uh, know, they uh, are not lying when they say that, even though they don't give out exact numbers, that they are the leading smartwatch. Uh, but that's like being you know, the tallest midget in the room. So that's the first thing they've done. And the other thing they did, which I think has disappointed a little, is Apple Pay. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a service, not a product. But and again, they didn't invent it. But Google, Google stumbled around with it, got nowhere with it for quite a while. And um, uh, Apple, uh, I think, did a brilliant job in executing it. It's a, it's a great product. I know that you said you had noticed some wonkiness with it lately, but I have not. Mm-hmm. I, I, I use it as often as I can. I just think there's a lot going on with the home button on, in this version of the iPhone. I think mean, yeah. you're talking about the next iPhone that's coming. I'm hoping that, you know, as they rethink the home button and how it works, and you know, because the rumor is that the phone will not have a physical home button anymore. Yeah. It'll get cleared up. That's all. I think there's too right. many functions I'm just not, packed into the current home button. I get it. I get it. But, it, you know, it. All I basically I just hold it near the terminal I'm not touching any buttons. It's not even on necessarily. Uh, I mean, it's powered on, but it's not uh, active. And I, I hold it near the terminal. 
the Apple Pay thing comes up, and then I put my finger on the on the. I button. think that's what, there's a real chance that my muscle memory is just it, we're in the weeds. But yeah, it okay. It, it works well, but it's it's not taking off the way that right exactly. And yeah. there are rumors that they're going to start their own P two P payment system, kind of like Venmo or or uh, Square Cash. And if they did, you know, given that there are a billion uh, iPhones out there and if it was a software update, uh, you know, not all billion could probably support it, not all billion. They claim that this – I'm talking – when I say a billion, that's what they claim are – they claim those are active Mm -hmm. uh, iOS devices and most of them, of course, are iPhones. Um, So any kind of – competitor they do to Venmo or or uh, uh, Square Cash has a very good, just like Apple Music, you know, isn't as big as Spotify, but it's big and growing because it's on there. And I think the payment thing could be that way. There's also talk about them doing a virtual credit card. But my bigger point is, so the first thing I mentioned was the iPhone launch in the fall will be critically important. And then can they create a category and here's what we think we know and I want to stress think we know I mean I know there are listeners who think because of some elements of my ruined past career some some listeners will think I actually <laughs> secretly know what they're working on everything I'm about to say to you is speculation let me just make that clear yeah. but we think we know the following things and there are good there's some good circumstantial evidence for all these things we think they're working on uh, augmented reality, which I happen to think is a much bigger, broader deal than VR, virtual reality. And I'm not dumping on VR, but I just think the total market opportunity and the total uh, kind of relevance for average people for VR is certainly – there's certainly some, but I think the total uh, relevance for most – the broadest number of people is higher for AR – and Apple, I, I'm, I know this. This part I do know. I know they mm-hmm. have reached that that conclusion. I just don't know what they're doing about it. But there's lots of circumstantial evidence given acquisitions they've made and and you know uh, hiring ads they placed and all this that they have a significant, a really significant development effort on AR. And and, and t- Tim Cook has publicly said many times, he many times, that's the big yeah. market. Yeah. And I mean, I can remember before he said anything publicly. I happen to have a one-on-one with him where we talked some about this, and he was just almost religious about it. So they have—that's you know—that could be a huge category. They're certainly not alone in that. I mean, Google's doing it, Facebook's doing it, Microsoft with Hololens is probably ahead on it. Um, Snapchat, uh, 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 other people are doing it, but you know, if they can bring the old Apple touch to it, particularly if there's a hardware piece associated with it, like glasses you would actually wear, um, uh, that could be extremely cool. We also know they're working in some way, shape, or form on a car, uh, or it, it's either a car or the software for a car, or maybe a software slash hardware element of a car. My own, if I had to completely guess, I would guess they're not about to build an auto assembly plant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I don't know the answer. And they've been totally closed-mouthed about it, except they had to 
a little bit of it got into the public because they had to file a permit for test driving uh, autonomous cars in California. Uh, and, you know, people jumped to the conclusion they're building a car when that came out. That was within the last week. And I wouldn't jump to that conclusion. I think even if you were just doing software for it, uh, you would still have to test drive cars. So, you know, they're involved in those two things. And, you know, they, they, I just think they have to break through. It could be a service. It could be a hardware product. In Apple's case, they're almost always big hardware products. Mm-hmm. I think they have to break through. Do you agree? I, I do. I think there's a lot riding on this next phone. I thought Tim Cook said something very interesting uh, when he was asked on the follow-up call with analysts about the sort of flatness of the iPhone. Um, he said, well, we're dealing with a lot of leaks about the new product a lot earlier than usual. And so people are holding off. I don't think that that is actually true. I think there are a lot of leaks. There's a lot of hype about this next phone. I think part of the narrative that Apple um, – not – they were they were just sort of okay with the narrative around the iPhone 7 that the reason it looked the same as the previous two phones was that they were saving the big shot for the next phone. But the iPhone 7 selling fine. But every year there's leaks and leaks and leaks about the next iPhone. I, I, I think that there's just a lot of pressure on that next phone and they know it. And they, that comment by Cook was sort of acknowledging it. The thing that I think is tr- – the two things out of these results that I think are interesting, particularly interesting, is what's going on with the iPad. They just put out a new iPad, so it's not reflected in these results. But that's a, that's a steep drop in iPad sales. Well, and um, it's about the eighth straight one, right? I mean – yeah, there's just not – it's just not doing what they thought it would do. And and this is – we can talk – we're going to talk about Microsoft in a, in a minute. But in the context of what Microsoft was doing uh, yesterday, which is putting out new stuff to appeal to college students with their new laptop and talk about their new version of Windows, it's kind of really targeted at Chrome OS. And Chrome OS is doing great in schools. Apple's really trying to push the iPad towards schools. You see that there's just a lot of competition for where they thought the iPad would win, and they're not winning. It just they're they're not necessarily winning in the, in those spots. That's not to say the iPad isn't a great product. I think we both agree it's a great product, but they've got to they keep trying new things with the iPad, and it keeps not doing well. Here's their problem with the iPad: it is a great product, and you know, even I'll, I'll you know, I am retiring. Uh, but I, but I will still be popping up on social media, and who knows? Maybe I'll call into you, your, your new. <laughs> Neil, I may have a new TV show yeah, streaming on Twitter. Like we'll see. I should point that out. That's going to be great. Uh, but the point is, I have said, and I will continue to say, and you'll probably find it somewhere in this giant column. You're expecting me to write, which I haven't started yet. But <laughs> if you guys really want to know how the column gets made, it's that conversation. <laughs> I think uh, I think the iPad is a fabulous product. I use it a lot. I have two. I have a mini, and I have a 9.7 inch Pro. They both have Retina screens. I use them all the time. Uh, I use them more than I use my my. Uh, Mac laptops, of which I have a couple, and I use them more than my Windows computers, and I use them more than my my phones or anything else. I mean, I obviously use my phones a lot, but for I mean, I'm not I'm doing a huge variety of things, and it's much more than consuming content. But I think the problem is they don't break, they don't break, and 
people don't carry them around and use them all day for everything, even though I would make the case they could. Large, large number of people, what's defined as their work, and I don't, and I mean it's real work. I, I, I'm not trying to denigrate that term. But for a lot of people, the work that they do can be done pretty well on an iPad, very well in some cases. Uh, but they don't see it that way. And um, so they keep them. And they're, and they're not going for new ones because Apple hasn't put any genius, fabulous new features into new ones. I mean, it could be a very good platform for augmented reality if they're really doing that. But, you know, that's not going to happen this year. So, you know, the iPad business is – you can't lay that at Tim Cook. That was a Steve Jobs thing. And by the way, while Steve Jobs was alive, the iPad was like taking off like nobody's business. And I'm not saying all of a sudden he died, Tim Cook took over, and everybody said, I'm not buying another iPad. That's not what I mean. But, you know, the thing had a certain very strange curve where it was just an enormous hit very quickly. And then it peaked and has, you know, continues to sell. They sold about, what did they sell? About 8 million of them, I want to say, something like that in the quarter. And that's not nothing considering how much it costs. But, um, it's I mean there are plenty of companies who if they sold only eight million iPads and that was their whole company, that would be a very good company because the margin on it is I'm sure quite good. But, you know, they have to figure something out. So I agree with you very much on the launch in the fall and then I just think they have to come up with they have to come up with another big thing. They're a vertically integrated company which has built its reputation in terms of consumer loyalty and in terms of investor loyalty on um, being innovative and creative and high quality and delighting you. And it's been a while. Yeah. And that actually brings me to the other thing that I thought was interesting in the results, which is Tim Cook has been very aggressive in promoting services as Apple's next big business. Yeah. He did it again on the call. He said it's growing. We're, you know, it's a huge business. That to me are dongles included in that? Yeah, I think dongles are in in other, and I think you could make a strong case that others' revenue has gone up. I no, <laughs> is I it AirPods or or is it just Ethernet adapters? Who they knows? could turn dongles <laughs> into a service. Yeah, exactly. You could subscribe to dongles. That would be very. Think innovative. about it, Neil. More more headphone jacks and USB adapters. Two different, whatever ports they remove from whatever their new <laughs> products are. You could subscribe to that. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I sat down at my desk and there was a new box with a new uh, uh, USB-C Ethernet adapter at it every week, it would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. All right. You were saying uh, anyway, about services. Yeah. Services. Look, it's a huge business for Apple. It's successful. I actually think Apple Music as a service is way better than it ever was before. Yeah, me too. Um, I, it's the it, one I use. It's 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 very good, and I promise the reader that I will. One I day still w- like you, Daniel Eck. I really do. But yeah, it's, no, it's, it's good. I I really enjoy. It's the using one it. I use. Um, but I, I am hard pressed to think of a, ser- a service from Apple, and they count the iTunes Store, they count the App Store, you know, whatever they're doing on the back end of the Apple TV for music and movies. All of that is lumped into services. So that is how they're thinking about it, and they're saying people are getting their phones, they're they're buying more apps, they're subscribing to Apple Music, they're downloading more movies on Apple TV, all the stuff that you do, or streaming more movies on Apple TV, rather. Um, I think that calling that services and saying services is growing 
it it doesn't put enough pressure on Apple to actually launch a service that people love and need. And I think that that kind of paradigm shift for them is going to be important, right? Like, Look, I think that's a fabulous point. I think to some extent, so I was listening to you say that, what was going through in my head was accounting trick. And it's not a trick. I don't mean that. There's nothing shady going on here or anything like that. I think it's just a way of expressing the numbers. There was a time when when you – I mean you've been – if you are in Apple's ecosystem, you've been paying for storage uh, if you want – if you're a power user or even a moderately power user, you've been paying for storage because they don't give as much away as some other companies uh, for your photos and for other things and for the backups and all that kind of stuff. And they never counted it. They never broke it out. That was a subscription. You know, you get a not- you get a notice in your email that says, "Hey, your iCloud storage thing is about to annually is about you know which for which you're paying fifty nine dollars or whatever you're paying is about to re- auto renew. You can click here if you want to cancel it because uh, Apple's very good about that kind of stuff. But the point is, they never broke those things out as a separate thing." And now they do, and maybe that's partly because of Apple Music. I don't know, but um, this is such a big company that even though this is a very robust number uh, and and it's a very robust growth number as well, it's not going to carry the a company of this size and and, and bulk. Mm-hmm. And they need to whatever the source of the pressure uh, in the in the wake of the death of Steve Jobs, which is like I said, about five and a half years now, whatever the – because he provided the, a lot of the pressure when he was alive. But whatever the source of the pressure is, it needs to be you know, pedal to the metal right now in terms of doing the next big thing. Yeah. A service you can describe in, in just so many different ways. But the way that I would think about it and the way that I, I would hope Apple's thinking about it uh, because I, I use many of their services and I'd like them to get better. And I think – Lumping them all together and saying our services are doing great is it it masks the places where the individual services are not the best in their category, right? So we I like Apple Music a lot. Spotify is an incredible competitor to that product, and they need to be really focused on making that element of their service business much, much better than its nearest competitor. And there are places where I think it is. I think the design of the app and the organization is much better. There are places where it's not. Spotify has a much larger ecosystem of like Spotify Connect device, like simple little stuff, but it all redounds to Spotify's ecosystem and make it stronger. So they should focus on that and try to beat them there. Well, Um, I'll be even broader. I just think Apple uh, has been painfully slow at improving its cloud Sort yeah, of savvy but, and that's and so that's it. reliability so and you know whether you're looking at the synced photos or you're looking at um, well so that was the one I was going to bring up next you look at what they've done with photos and their photo system is it as good as Google Photos and the no. answer is no no right so like there should it's be not. some pressure there to make it better and they were if ahead of charge and they were ahead of Google Photos on a lot of things like places and faces and yeah. that kind of stuff and at first it was typical Apple magic, it seemed like. And now it's, you know, they. I've been looking at both of them quite heavily the last few days because, as some listeners may know, I've been doing a kind of 
social media retirement tour of posting pictures of people I want to thank, including you, Neelai. I did that, uh, and other people because you you know you can't build a career by yourself, and um, and some memories, some cool memories. So I've been looking into my Apple photos and also my Google. I have both. I have them on Apple devices. I have them. In, you can't have Apple photos on your Android devices, so I have Google photos there. But even if I'm on my iPad or my iPhone or my Mac, I have Google Photos. Uh, on the Mac, it's a web site. But, um, you know, it, uh, it's, it actually organizes things better. It's the same photos. I mean, it's, they're importing all the same photos. Um, and if you put them side by side, Google Photos right now, I would have to say, is better. Sure. So that's and there's why. no excuse for that. There's yeah, just no excuse. They could win there. They, I mean, Google isn't a photo there. company. Uh, Apple, arguably, I mean, I still think it's true that more photos are taken on iPhones than anything else. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, you could argue, and we have argued, that such and such phone's camera is better, but, you know, maybe in the fall their phone will once again be better. But it doesn't matter. Their phones are good enough that people take a ton, ton of photos on them, and they get backed up and... and um, they should be the king of this, and they're not. So, yeah, yeah. they have work to do. Um, and then the last two that I'll bring up, and I, there's a, a bigger one with iMessage too, but the last two I'll bring up uh, is Apple TV and, and iMessage. And so you look at Apple TV, and the big piece of Apple TV was apps. Right? There's an app store for Apple TV. Mm-hmm. That store is part of services. And you have to say, is the Apple TV app store a vibrant ecosystem where you're I mean we cover tech news I don't get pitched on Apple TV apps ever that's unusual right well you do only in the sense that it's like the story we had a few hours ago uh, on Hulu and it's new uh, live TV app, which but, is... But, so the, the, there's an example. So it, Hulu is launching a TV service where they ask customers to pay monthly for watching TV on Hulu. And that, sure, they'll have an Apple TV app, but it'll be free. The, the real money is you're going to pay Hulu to watch TV. I understand, but I mean... Is, it, Apple, is the Apple TV product have something that matches Hulu or Sling TV or PSVU? Or are there is there such a collection of apps on that platform that it's the far and away winner, winner versus the Roku? And I think the answer is question marks all around. Well, I don't think they have as many as Roku, but Roku's a lot of Roku's are very long tailed. Sure, yeah. Well, that's a, a whole podcast. It's, yeah, that, it's, it's down it the really, And it really is one that we would have Peter Kafka on for if we were going to do it because, I mean, the truth is they certainly had much greater ambitions. Here, here the fault lies uh, with um, no, uh, We don't have to go into uh, the, the point I'm making is this, the story is services as a category is big success. Yeah. And I think once you drill into it, individual services, if the question is, is this the best service in its category, then the question marks start to appear. And the, the last one I'll bring up um, is iMessage, where they also launched a huge store. Remember, there was a big push about iMessage yeah. apps. That seems to have not gone anywhere in particular. Um, and then the you know Lauren Good wrote for us a piece about iMessage lock-in, which was very interesting, and I complain about it all the time. All my friends are iMessage. I can basically I have to have an iPhone because that is how they wish to communicate. And Ben Thompson, the great analyst, who was actually on stage with Peter Kafka uh, at Recode Media, yep. uh, wrote a piece today that was like 
Apple is struggling in China because everyone in China uses WeChat, and it doesn't matter if they have an iPhone or an Android phone. They're, the the primary platform that they're using is WeChat, and it's the same across phones. So Apple's differentiation in that market is 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 harder for them to achieve. And I think that is like that's just all bits and pieces of this services narrative that are worth unpacking. I think it's really it's really fascinating to line up Apple's services against its competitors and say. Are these the best in these individual slices? Yeah. Well, I think basic iMessage is excellent. Mm-hmm. And um, again, uh, you know, Google's strategy, I mean, there are other people like Facebook and WeChat involved, but Google's strategy is, I mean, we, we joke about it on Verge all the time. I mean, they have six, I want to say, messaging apps. They don't really, they with great fanfare announced yeah, no. I'm not Hello, saying Google's doing a great job. An iMessage competitor, which no one uses. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, I think iMessage is not one of their big problem areas. No, um, I think it's a huge success. I'm the saying, iMessage store, I agree with you. Right, but, and that would be the service. Com- that's how they're monetizing iMessage, right? Yeah, You're going to buy right. things for iMessage inside of the store. So it's just interesting to break down. Um, I, th- but that's where they're at, right? They're, they're, it, to me, uh, correct if you disagree, I'm interested, but we're we're waiting for that next phone. We're waiting for that next moment from Apple. And, you know, it's I'm I'm optimistic and enthusiastic about those moments coming because I think they're some of the most fun moments in the industry. Yep, I know. I completely agree with that. I suppose we should also say we're going to be very interested to see uh, uh, the new operating systems. We'll see those much sooner. I expect we'll see those in early June at their worldwide developers conference and so um that's an interesting chance to see what their software will do even on older phones because you do have to hand it to them i mean as opposed to android if you have an older phone you're going to get a lot of newness for free every year with with the um new ios and uh the same with the mac Uh, and um uh, so that'll be interesting too but there, you're right. The, the bigger issues are what we've talked about. Let's move on. Let's move on. So we talked about the iPad. We talked about Mac sales. A thing that is affecting both of those things is the rise of Chromebooks, particularly in education. And right. actually, depending on how you measure, and this is very controversial, but depending on how you measure, the PC market is actually growing because of Chromebooks. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, and the measure, various measurement companies are all fighting because they have different methodology. If you're a deep, wonky nerd, it's very interesting, but I assure you it's it's pretty boring. But Microsoft, to counteract that, had a big event yesterday. Uh, Tom Warren is actually in New York this week to cover it. Uh, he's usually in the UK. But his headline was Microsoft's Chromebook event, which is a direct troll of Microsoft because that's what they're mm-hmm. reacting to. Um, but they announced uh, a new Surface laptop, which looks very cool. Uh, 13.5-inch screen. It obviously has touch. It supports the pen. It's a MacBook Air. It's, it looks like a MacBook Air, and the, the wrist rest I mean, is uh, Alicantra leather. The, the impact of the MacBook Air in terms of other people trying to copy it um, or and copying it, actually, and maybe, maybe doing something different or a little better or a little whatever, but basically copying it has been unbelievable and that's 2008 that yeah, came by the way, out. it's alcantara it's an alcantara but the the wrist rest is made of uh, this like material well, it's a this fabric, leathery material yeah it's, it's fabric. fabric i mean it's like the fabric keyboard they use on the tablet at microsoft look i i here's my read on this i mean first of all 
We should also note that it runs a special version of Windows. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's Windows 10 S, which and is... And the apps have to come from the App Store. Unless and you the, pay 50 bucks. Unless you pay 50 bucks. And then, and then it's bucks. Windows. And then it's Windows. But I think they have desperately... I, I think that if I would have seriously considered uh, not allowing that and just going for it because they desperately need an ecosystem of modern new apps uh, like uh, iPad apps. And, you know, they have all the architecture and code down for it and, they, and it works on their phones and it works, uh, you know, you can run it on Windows 10 PCs and you can run it on Surface tablets but and other companies' tablets that run Windows 10 and yet people just don't make them. And I don't know. I don't know. I would have been tempted to just say, look, this particular model thing, which is so great and so cool and you're going to love it, just suck it up. You're not going to be able to use, you know, your ancient program that you could have run on <laughs> Windows XP. You're just not – it's just a new day and we're not stopping you – know, there's other versions of Windows and there's other machines that you can do that on but not this one. But that's not what they did and so 50 bucks, you know, this thing is about $1,000 and that's that's where it starts. It, it can cost you a lot more, and so yeah, you can spec it up to like twenty two hundred bucks. Yeah, so spending fifty bucks to have access to all kinds of uh, Windows uh, programs, some of which have their roots in uh, uh, the Abacus days, is probably <laughs> worth it for you if you're. No, I'm, I mean, yeah. look, look. When I started my my long and ancient career. Microsoft Word was already a thing. It wasn't the leader yet, but it was there. And 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 Excel was called MultiPlan, and it was there. These things have been around a really long time, a really long time. And there's nothing – I mean, you and I, I don't write my column in Word. You don't edit my column in Word anymore. That doesn't mean Word is a bad program or anything. It's just kind of overkill and not very – not something we think of as very collaborative and web-oriented, although I think you could actually make it work. That, I know you can make it work that way. Yeah. So uh, – but there are people, particularly in, uh, in corporations or people who just – that's their habit and they love using it, for whom it is important to have traditional classic desktop word. And for 50 bucks, I guess you'll be able to run it on this. So I give him credit. I mean, Panos Panay, who does this for them, you know, he's passionate about it. He cares a lot about it. We should point out that while Microsoft is a very large company, its hardware, its direct hardware business, like these Surface things, is very small and actually dropped quite a lot in the last year. But um, it sets an example for everyone else in the Windows world who makes hardware. And I'm... You know, I haven't had my hands on this. I didn't go to New York and, uh, for the thing, and uh, I'm sure. But I'm sure it's probably a pretty solid. I don't think they he's going to make uh, a crappy laptop. I'm sure. I think is, they're very proud of the hard. I mean, yeah, Panos no, they Pane are. Is like very, he's very proud of his his hardware engineering team. Um, you know, Tom was there. He's here. He wrote a bunch of pieces on the site. Uh, we'll probably have on the Vergecast tomorrow and deep dive with him. But his early read is that it's a very nice piece of hardware that that feels great. But let me so let me do the same thing I tried to do with Apple and zoom out a little rather yeah. than zooming in, because there's a lot of little things we could say about it. You know, like strange things we're discovering about how you get. <laughs> 
how you get or don't get different colors. And I mean, there's crazy stuff going on in the SKUs and the pricing of this thing. Yeah, and in Windows 10s, you cannot set Google as your default search yeah, engine. Yeah, there's all that kind of stuff. But I want to I want to zoom out a little. I think this is really important. There was a time when they had Microsoft had a fairly decent share in the schools in high school, in college, uh, and even in earlier grades. And, you know, Apple's been, for a long time, Apple was number one there. Then they then they had a, a, a very fallow period. Then they came back. And then now Google has unseated them. But Windows has never been, if, if you took a poll in colleges around the country of students who didn't need some specialized software that only ran in Windows, in other words, who are perfectly free to choose, they basically choose Macs. And then I wouldn't be surprised if Chromebooks were second. Windows, this, so I see this Windows S thing and this, and this new uh, Surface laptop uh, combined as a very important play to get mind share of people when they're young and hopefully retain loyalty as they move through life making choices that are not made for them by IT departments. At one time, Microsoft relied a lot on that. That's harder to rely on now. You have to win the hearts and minds of, of individuals. And what better way to do it than starting at, at roughly that age? So they make something that's cool, that you're proud to carry around, that is supposed to have 14 hours of battery life. I mean, I would take that with a grain of salt, but it probably means it has good battery life. And it's a it's not a tactical move, is what I'm saying. I think it's a strategic move, and I think it's a long term move, and that's how I looked at it. Yeah, I mean, I I'll be narrower. You're you're way up there. I think this is very simple. I think it's Apple came out with its MacBook Pros. I think you're exactly right about the MacBook Air, uh, and I I dashed off this tweet yesterday, and it. I think it's like a thousand retweets, and people arguing with me. Mac and PC war in my Twitter timeline. I just said all anybody wanted was a MacBook Air with a Retina display, and Microsoft made one. Yeah, right. That's right. And it's—I didn't mean that is like Microsoft is attacking Apple. I just literally mean like that is a thing that people said they wanted, and this is a thing that looks almost exactly like that. And whether you want to go deep into, you know, the value of Mac OS versus Windows or whatever, that's yeah. This, because some of the answer I, I saw the I was yeah. looking at it. Some people said, "Wait, you mean it runs Mac OS?" Yeah, um, and. That is a snarky comment probably from an Apple fanboy, but the yeah. point is we do sometimes when new laptops come out, we do tend to forget the operating system and the apps and the software matter more than I think we have given them credit for, particularly since the web tended to level a lot of that stuff. It still matters to some extent. But having said that, I think your tweet was right on, and I even probably retweeted it. Um, <laughs> So, but I think that's the thing. I think the kid going to college who wants to spend about a thousand dollars on a laptop, their Apple option is the MacBook or the MacBook Air, which is very old, or the next step up MacBook Pro, which is expensive. It's 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 much more expensive, um, and that's the one without the Touch Bar. So I think this is just in that little sweet spot. And I think Apple's answer is, well, you should buy an iPad. That's where they you know, they're running the ads right now. Don't buy a laptop, buy an iPad. Yeah, and look, I'm an, I love the iPad as we have already established many many times, including Today. a few minutes ago. But <laughs> um, I find it 
utterly, utterly baffling that they took – I honestly think the MacBook Air is one of the all-time great tech products. I'm not, I mean over and above just the Mac in general. The MacBook Air is a fabulously important product. It was, has been a great part of Apple's success and has been emula- – I mean I, I, this is not even just a guess. I've had the product managers of Windows computers tell me. This is an, our attempt to do the MacBook Air or to beat the MacBook Air or whatever. I mean, it's just there. And Apple seems to have abandoned it. I think it's probably in a slow death spiral. I've said this before, but I'm going to remind listeners who may have forgotten how crazy I am. I ran out and bought a new MacBook Air. It's sitting in a box in my house. I'd love a retina screen, but I don't need a retina screen. I just like the MacBook Air. And um, I think Microsoft's doing exactly the right thing some of the de- some of the individual details may be something you can argue with but um i think the overall strategy here is the right thing uh and i think it's baffling and puzzling what apple is doing unless you know uh, unless they're going to do a clamshell with ios which i like the idea of and not everyone does i mean to, to get back into microsoft i think they're you know we there's what Microsoft is doing, and they're pushing very hard, and they've got this new version of Windows. And I, I look at Windows 10 S and the idea that you have to buy apps from their store, and they've got a hot new computer that runs it. And I think this is them pushing to say, we're going to make this Windows Store thing really, truly happen in a way that it hasn't quite yet. And that's a big piece of their future strategy, right? But it's very – I look, this is what I was saying. I, I think they should have gone for it because what a Windows store – yes, you can t- – I think they've even said old-style office – correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they said old-style office will be offered in the Windows store. Yep. However, typically in Microsoft world, when somebody says to you, this is a Windows store app, it's the latest of at least three names for a new kind of uh, – for their version of what is an iPad app or an Android app that runs well on a big screen of which there are very few. In other words, it takes up the whole screen. It's very – it's touch first, so on and so forth. Um, they used to be called Metro. Then they were called Modern. Uh, now they're called uh, Windows 10 or Universal or whatever. That's what's sold in the Windows Store app. So they call it – so if you hear somebody say it's a Windows Store app, typically that means it's not your familiar classic Windows desktop app. It's this new kind of app. And um, I agree with you. I think that the, the S version of the OS and the new cool laptop to run it uh, are moves toward bolstering that, which is why it puzzles me that they are making this $49 option available or – Maybe they didn't charge $490 instead of $49 if they really want there to be an ecosystem of new style software that runs on a new style piece of hardware. Yeah. I I think it's really interesting for the – I agree with you. I think they probably have a little bit of PTSD from Windows RT where they tried to do this once before. Yeah, but it was so simple on Windows RT. That Surface – Mm-hmm. Windows RT, which was just a, sl- a slate with a snap- with a very clever snap-on keyboard. And by the way, also done by Panos Panay under the leadership of Stephen Sanofsky and Julie Green. I thought it was terrific. It ran on ARM. What they failed – here, to me, the principal mistake they made 
was they put a Windows classic looking desktop on it. Yeah. Because what they had was basically an iPad competitor that also ran classic Office. Because at the time, there was no all-touch modern version of Office for Windows. Ironically, a team at Microsoft had made one for iOS and later for Android, but there wasn't one for Windows. And if they had just included it and run it in some other mode but not showed you a desktop that made you think you could download anything else – think would have been a lot more successful that's just my theory but yeah yeah but, no, they I, but have, I think they, they had PTSD enough of that, that. and it, this thing is a laptop and it had, shows you the windows desktop and it has a start menu and i think they have an out when people get it and they're like i want to download trillium chat from 1995 <laughs> uh they can say you're gonna Pay 50 bucks, you could do whatever you want, but we encourage you to not pay 50 bucks and live in this store. And I think yeah. it's an interesting strategy. I'm, I'm, no, I'm excited to get the stuff, I'm excited to review it. It's generally a good move, and, and, and I think they're moving in the right direction. And I, I have to say, they're, you know, I, people are going to get mad, but I think they're, Microsoft's hardware stuff right now feels more vibrant than Apple in, in, in terms of Macs and PCs. Feels more vibrant than what Apple's doing. On the well, they're paying attention to it. Yeah, they still care about it. Um, it you can. It's it, it sometimes it's hard to tell if Apple really still cares about the twenty-five billion dollar business that is the Mac. Yeah, just you know, I think that's true. I think everything you said. I mean, they care a lot about iPads. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get a lot of hate. Someone's going to throw a Touch Bar Mac at us. It's going to be bad. <laughs> okay, uh, we got a few minutes left. Do you want to delve into Verizon and net neutrality? Yes, because you did a good job. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and I'm going to say what you did. I get, I get a carrot. So gold I get star. Gold star for Neelai. <laughs> so here's what – now, listeners, here's what happened. Neelai and I are slacking. We're slacking, and I can't remember what we were talking about, but he, but he says, take a look at this, and he, and he sends me a link. And I look at it, and it's this two and a half – Less than three minutes, I think, video. And it's a fake interview, which is fine. That part is fine. I mean, it, they, it's, it's a marketing v- video on a Verizon web page in which somebody – some I think he was identified as an engineer, might have been an engineer, was doing the interviewing of their, I want to say, general counsel. counsel and, whose name I can't recall. Craig Silliman. Thank you. And it was about net neutrality and the intention – Theoretically, was to clear up what Verizon's <laughs> wait, view. Wait, I don't know if that is even a theoretical read of the intention. Okay, the purported intention, yeah, something was to clear up and and show how how noble and simple Verizon's view of net neutrality was. And I watched this video, and I'm so outraged that I slack back to you, like in outrageous. I'm like, this is so brazen. I can't believe he's using this analogy. I can't believe he's saying this. Blah, blah. And then you're back at me at this stuff, and I say, I say we should talk about this on the podcast. And you go, I think no. I'm gonna I'm gonna move much faster. I'm gonna write a piece <laughs> that's just gonna just gonna take every one of these statements and say this is what they said this is what the truth is and so within about i don't know 45 minutes you had that piece up can i tell people how i did it it's very simple i used uh, a service on the internet which looked very sketchy to pull the closed caption data off the video so i could get the transcript very fast oh that's cool. i felt very clever when i did it anyway but yes i made a chart of everything he says in the video 
and then the the truth. I hesitate to say it so bluntly, but the point of the video, Craig Sullivan's point was <laughs> improbably Verizon completely supports net neutrality. They yeah. just want to put it on a different legal footing because they hate Title II. The truth is that net neutrality was on a different legal footing, and Verizon sued the FCC saying that legal footing did not give the FCC authority to impose net neutrality rules. So the whole reason that net neutrality had to happen under Title II and all of this is going on is Verizon. So for Verizon to, at this moment, say, well, we love the rules, we just hate the authority, well, it's their fault it's under this authority. This was the logical outcome of their actions. I, I listened to the video twice, and I didn't hear Craig say any of that. <laughs> I didn't hear him explain any of that background. And not only that, not only that, my favorite part was about the Girl Scouts and your front lawn. So we actually have the audio from this. Andrew's going to put it in. Uh, but there's <laughs> – I hesitate <laughs> to even call it a metaphor. It's, it's a story. It's a, it's a tale that he goes on to talk about what net neutrality is and why they don't like Title II. Imagine in your town someone says, I'm really concerned that homeowners may start prohibiting people walking up their front walk. So mailman can't deliver mail, Girl Scouts can't sell cookies, it'll be chaos, right? So the mayor says, I'm going to pass a rule. I'm going to pass a rule that no one can prohibit people walking up their front walk. But to pass this rule, I need you, Jeremy, and all homeowners to give me complete authority over your property. Well, how are you going to feel about that? So that's... <laughs> I, I don't know how to react so to that. Tell us what, well, but you did tell us what's wrong with that. Well, so at the at the most basic level, because I like Girl Scout cookies, I, they're great, and we certainly and want the I, government. Once for, in a while, I get a letter I kind of like. The it's idea not that often, but but the idea that the government that that so many private homeowners are going to be blocking the Girl Scouts from coming up, that there will be chaos in the streets, <laughs> strikes me as improbable. <laughs> I'm, I don't think you could sell that as a. At a, at a baseline a level, I will say, <laughs> attack of the Girl Scouts. Um, at a baseline level, a thing that is interesting about this construction uh, is that the government does have authority over its citizens. And the conversation is really like, how much authority should they have? So like, at a, and I've said this about the net neutrality debate, the 2017 net neutrality debate many times. A lot of it strikes me as like, what if college Republicans smoked a bunch of weed in their freshman dorm rooms and talked about the nature of government. Like, should it exist? Should there be rules? Should breaking the rules have consequences? That's like a lot of this debate. So to, to, to start at the point of the government can't regulate what big companies do, that means that you've stepped back. But more importantly, that you step back to like first principles, Hobbes, Locke, and Rousseau. Like that's where we are in terms right. of talking about the government here. But more importantly, Verizon doesn't operate a home with a front walk. They operate massive broadband networks. And the broadband networks, the wireless networks, there's only so much wireless spectrum in, in the world, in the universe. And Verizon has purchased a lease to some of it from the United States government. There are no, there's no more. And so only a handful of companies have it, which means they have a natural monopoly there, to lay the fiber in the ground, they need right-of-way, which comes – it's public land. They have to like, traverse it, and they have to get permission from the government to do it. That, particularly for laying the fiber, that creates a huge natural monopoly and barrier to competition. 
There's already fiber in the well, ground. Well, and if they are, are a cable company, yeah. which many of them are, the way they have gotten into your house is that your local government has has said, okay, you – because they don't want everyone digging up the street and they don't want 22 companies putting wires in every street, suburban or urban – you know, every apartment building, every suburban neighborhood. So the counties and the cities very often um, award monopolies to the to Comcast right. or Verizon or somebody. So already so – they, they've, they've already gotten, done a deal with the government which puts them under various regulation and obligation. Right. And, and the point I'm making is because – in the, the, the root of it is these are public resources. There's, in, in the That's case of right. wireless – very scarce public resources. And nothing like Girl Scout cookies. It is not like the front walk to your private home. And if, and I assure, I assure you that if murderous Girl Scouts roam the streets <laughs> unable to deliver cookies, the citizens of America might, in fact, ask their government to pass some regulation allowing the Girl Scouts. I think that's a, probab- <laughs> a high probability. So, so the there's, there's a lot there. Is very... <laughs> Much the over. Yeah. So it, that metaphor, what they're saying is we built these networks. We own them. We want to do whatever it's we want. Friggin out, that's right. It's just out, I was I was so outraged listening to this guy because the whole point of this was to say we're going to put this into lay language and our position is so innocent and so pro you, the consumer, that I, the general counsel, I'm taking time out from my busy schedule he was sitting there in casual clothes, which I'm sure he probably wears all the time. I don't mean to – I don't know the guy. Maybe that's the way he dresses. It was fine. But he just looked like your friendly uncle sitting yeah. there saying, Uncle Verizon is just <laughs> – we're on your side. But big bad FCC is going to somehow – look, they could come in and set our prices. Oh, my God. Yeah. They could come in and – you know. But to these, that's whereas the, the FCC has said none of that. Yes, there is a, a thing called Title II that for the reason you explain, which has to do exactly with Verizon, they resorted to as a way to enforce some measure of net neutrality. And I say that because it wasn't perfect, but it was some measure of net neutrality. We don't even know how many – I don't think they brought many enforcement actions under it that I can think of, but and and but they know – they have the Trump administration in. They have a Republican Congress. Why not go for it? Why not go for no regulation, which is essentially what they're going for? Right. And I, the other thing about that, which is interesting, is that in October of 2016, when basically everyone thought Hillary would, would win, Verizon is not raising this issue. It was not this level of there'll be chaos in the streets, our business is at threat. They were confidently telling investors – we're going to keep investing. There's a huge path forward here. Uh, there's st- share prices. I mean, they were making big profits. So the argument is it, just interesting. It's but for their own lawsuit, they would have had what they say they now want. So that's confusing. And then but for Trump winning, which was – I'm just going to say was a surprise to most people – uh, they would have been in a different regulatory environment that they had previously said was just basically just fine. So it's they're just in this moment, and I, 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 I don't know. I don't want to go too far, but it's the the level of rhetoric from the telecom companies is more Trumpy than you would expect. 
um, because they're usually very careful, right? They're publicly regulated companies. They have an enormous number of shareholders. There's any number of ways they can get themselves in trouble. They're usually very measured in what they say. Um, and right now, the, the, they've just elevated that rhetoric around net neutrality to something that I think is frankly like a little misleading. And so oh this video God. to me is just like, you know, people aren't stupid. You don't need to resort to these metaphors about Girl Scouts and walkways. They know what the internet is. They know how it works. Most importantly, they know how they want it to work. Uh, and so Verizon put up this video. We put up this piece. Uh, I've never seen a YouTube likes to dislikes ratio like this in my life. There are three likes on this video. I am pretty sure it's the person who made it, the two people who are in it, and that's it. And then there's like 10,000 dislikes. Right. They, and didn't you say they what disabled did they do? the comments and they unlisted the video? They like, they, you know, they. What does it mean, just so people know? So it's to not if you go video, look on Verizon. You can't search it, you can't find it anymore. It's there. It's there. They didn't take I, it down. I have the link, and it, you know we still embedded and all the stuff. And but they they just they they just gave up. Like it's not a public Verizon video any longer. Um, and I think they this is going to keep happening. Where I think these companies think they can they can make these arguments that feel convincing because they skirt over the issue and they appeal well, to something. But people actually know. They actually know about internet policy, which is very surprising to me. Uh, and they actually really, really care. And I think that is going to be the most important th part of this debate going forward. I would also say, and I, uh, this, again, I want to make it clear, this is complete speculation. But uh, Well, the second part is. But the first part, which is not speculation, is that I've lived in Washington a long time. I used to cover the government. Um, it's not very hard for big moneyed corporate interests with lots of lobbyists to get relatively favorable um, actions and regulations and interpretations of regulations out of government agencies, not of Congress, uh, particularly when there's our business-friendly uh, majorities in the Congress and in and a business supposedly business-friendly president in the White House. Did I say? And, and telecom lobbying is some yeah, of the richest lobbying in the, in the yes, history of the country. And the and the FCC under Obama, while it was certainly more, in my opinion, pro-consumer than what we have seen so far from Aji Pai, uh, who is uh, the current FCC chairman uh, under Trump, uh, it isn't what like the FCC under Obama was just handing out uh, favors to consumers or, <laughs> or screwing no. over the companies left and right. They had plenty of friends there. They had uh, you know, heavy-duty lobbying, and uh, they were doing fine. My speculation, the part that is speculation, is that what you do in these cases is as, off, as much as you can, you shut up when you're winning. Yeah. And they were winning. I mean, it's not done yet. We don't exactly – I mean, one of the things that you and I have complained about is we don't know what the FCC's – alternate plan for having net neutrality is because they haven't said and they're going to have a public comment period and so forth. But you're winning, Verizon. Why would you make this video? And so my <laughs> speculation is this was a giant PR screw up by somebody who just got over arrogant and overconfident. And they did. And, and I don't know how you came upon it, but it was because I don't spend my days looking at Verizon's internal... <laughs> PR pages, you don't? but no. It's great. Yeah, it's really fun. But, you know, just purely as a matter of strategic 
PR and government affairs, not a smart thing to do. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of these companies try a lot of different ways of speaking directly to consumers. They, they really do not feel um, like the press gives them a fair shake. And that's actually in uh, this video. Where he basically calls us fake news. Uh, we're the enemy. Yeah, we're the yeah, enemy. And we're, fake news. We get riled we're up because we're, we're lobbying for dollars. Which, yeah, it was very Trumpian. Uh, uh, I don't think he, he didn't use the word yeah, fake news. He, he but. walked right up to the line. But, you know, um, uh, the last time this debate happened, we, we were very hard on Comcast. A disclosure is Comcast an investor in Vox Media. Um, I'm sure they love this happening currently. But, you know, Comcast's people, we were very tough on them and they were very responsive, right? They, they, they wanted to engage with us and they wanted to convince us. And I think they didn't, you know, they didn't necessarily feel like they were winning, but they were very engaged. This time around, I'm not saying it's Comcast necessarily, but the telecom companies as a group are much less Engaged, they know they're winning. They are well. Saying, they would probably say, "Hey, look, we tried to engage. We tried to get you know explain it in terms people don't understand about yeah. the Girl Scouts <laughs> and your lawn. We did what we could for you, idiots. <laughs> you won't listen. Um, but yeah, so it, and it's then a, and then when we do it, you attack us. So yeah, so the the tenor is just very, very different, and I, I think that is going to be really interesting because if they don't feel if public opinion stays the way it is which is basically most people don't like their ISP. It's just a fact because they only have one choice. So they feel trapped. Like it's the natural state of things. Um, uh, if public opinion stays the way it is and they feel like they can't get a shot from the press, they're going to try to talk to the public directly more and more and more. Which is fine. And I think this is a first somewhat I just deeply think embarrassing attempt. really bungled one, yeah. bad PR. But you'll, like I, think, I said, I think when, you're winning, when you're winning, keep, keep quiet as long as you can. Yeah. Uh, well, the last week we uh, you 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 said about AT and T. Just let Ajit Pai carry the water for you. He's doing fine, and yeah. he he's happy. I think he likes the conflict. I think he's he likes being out there. I think he that's whatever you can disagree with the man's policies, but you cannot question his sincerity and his belief of that those policies are correct. And I, that is something to be respected, even yeah. even though I completely disagree with the policy. No, no, look, just because we have a point of view on this and we're passionate about it and we both are and so will be everybody on the Verge cast tomorrow, I'm sure, um, it doesn't mean there isn't a respectable other way of looking at it. Yeah, and I, um, and I just Probably wish- the best thing to do if we had a functioning government that <laughs> – no, I mean, we, yeah, we have right. a dysfunctional government. We had it when Obama was president, too. Yeah. I mean, if we had a functional government that where the Congress took seriously making uh, laws to solve real problems, um, you know, a law, a new law, much newer than t- I mean, Title II is the title of a law that was passed 80 years ago or something, right? 1934. And so what we need is a law. About that includes net neutrality and a bunch of other things that are, uh, you know, even newer. I mean, there wasn't. They had a law in the '90s, but the '90s are like a million years ago now, uh, or the '80s was it? I can't remember. But I mean, it wasn't. It was newer than the 1934 law, and it still isn't right for the situation today. Yep. Congress, serious bipartisan effort out of Congress, where they would have been able to unleash their lobbyists and. The consumer side would have had, you know, petitions and phone calls. I mean, just the traditional way these things get done. And we would have had a law 
And then it wouldn't have been a choice between a Title I where Verizon sued and then a Title II where, where Verizon sued. By sued. the way, Verizon sued <laughs> under Title II too. And yeah. uh, it, the the FCC was upheld in that one and then they appealed. And, and any they, new law would probably be the result uh, – you know, attacked by lawsuits and it would wind up in the Supreme Court. But at least yeah. we'd know one way or the other. Well, the, the appeal of the Title II decision – it just it was rejected because the court said, why would we spend our time with this when the FCC is clearly about to blow it up? No, right. It was right. it was like it was a very dry. Decision. No, it sounds like it's a job for Congress. Is and and that I will tell you this, that is it is what Comcast says. Um, um, they've actually Comcast PR people have tweeted at me publicly like what we really want is legislation here. It is a little bit what the other big ISPs are saying. It's a little bit what Pi is saying. So there is that move. Towards it, but you know, there there's a health care bill in Congress. There's a tax reform bill. If the idea that they're going to get to the net neutrality, when bill you're and, busy and spin that all the way protection through. from people with pre-existing conditions, it's very hard <laughs> to have any RAM left over for this. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's just a lot there's a lot going on here. But it's I the the thing I would take away is one. Whoops, this, did I say something political there? I know. Ah, you're fine. Um, let's see. Okay. We're, we're ending. The show's almost over, man. Get it all out. <laughs> <laughs> Career in ruins. <laughs> that's, that's been Control Alt Delete. We'll be. Well, it's on fire now. Um, no, Soon but, to be Control Ajit Delete. <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, by the way, Ajit Pai still welcome on the show. We, you know, still just, welcome. We have a few left. Got a few In fact, left. I'll, I'll make this. I'll make this offer. Yeah. Let's say he does. He for some reason. Unknown, he decides he's never going to do the Verge cast, and he doesn't come on this show up to the point where the show ends. Mm-hmm. And we have big plans for the ending of the show, right? Yep. You know, I, we do. Tell me we do. We do. We've talked about them, but, you know, we have a big blowout final control wall to lead that we're planning uh, some uh, next month. Um, let's just say he hasn't come on between now and then. I'm going to make a standing offer right now. I will come out of retirement. To be on the show, if you want me to, to be on the show, and we can have a three-way discussion. Yeah. If he'll come on. That'd be great. We'll see if he does it. He's doing a lot of local radio lately. It's interesting to see where he goes. But Then let's switch to local radio. <laughs> That's the future. They're shutting down the internet. We got to get our pirate AM broadcast. I think you and I ought to have a talk show um, somewhere, I don't know, Knoxville. That'd or, be great. Oh, or... That- uh, Green Bay. Could we do it in Green Bay? Green Bay would be great. Madison. Green Bay's, Green Bay's beautiful. Could we do it in Providence, Rhode Island, where we, I was born? You know, And part of the time we can discuss the Packers and the Patriots, and the rest of the time we can talk about tech. <laughs> <Net> neutrality. <laughs> the <laughs> best combination. <laughs> Two NFL teams NFL. and net neutrality. <laughs> Our local radio show. Uh, yeah. I would tune in. I got to say that actually sounds – I have not yet contemplated my retirement, but – that's a good way to go. Uh, like in retirement, what'd you do? Well, I've hosted, never thought of that. I hosted no. a very niche radio program <laughs> <laughs> for several years. Uh, mm. All right. Well, mm. uh, well I'm going to let you go get planning for your AM broadcast license. <laughs> Uh, but we've got we've got other stuff to listen to. We still have more episodes of this show coming up. Uh, we love your feedback. We love your reviews. Go on iTunes. Leave us reviews. Tweet at us. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. I'm at Reckless. Uh, I'm looking for great intros. We had a great intro this week. Keep tweeting those at me. Uh, we want to end it with a bang. We will, as Walt hinted, we have some grand plans for our final show. We'll be letting you know what those are soon. 
there's also other stuff to listen to. Uh, like I said, Tom Warren is in town in New York, so he'll be on the Vergecast tomorrow. We'll be going deep on the Surface Laptop and what Microsoft is doing, so that'll be really interesting. He was at the event. He's played with the stuff. I'm eager to hear from him. Lauren Good hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask, which is wonderful. Listen to that. Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode. And Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media, which is also one of my very favorites. So all that's on iTunes. Go listen to it. And we will be back next week. Thanks a lot, Walt. Thanks a lot, Neela. 